to dive in today. We are kicking off our sermon uh, series that's called, It's Really, Really Good News. It's really, really good news. All right. Uh, here's the thing. We live in a culture where more and more there's this resistance to Christianity, right? When I was younger uh, and I was in youth group and growing up in church, there was a lot of conversation about how do we answer the question, is it true? Right? Like, how do we convince ourselves beyond a reasonable shadow of doubt that it is true? How do we convince others? Right? So there were these classic books that came up, like A Case for Christ and A Case for Faith. There were all of these ways that you could answer the question, could it really be true? Did Jesus really exist? Could miracles have really happened? This was the key way that I think in my younger generation days that our faith was development, developed to answer the question, is it true. Now, the interesting thing is times and our culture have really, really changed. I don't think that most of the time people are asking the question, is it true? I think we're kind of moved beyond that question. And now there's a new question that I think gets asked way more often than is it true? It's the question, is it good? Is it good? Which is a really interesting question because most of the time when we as followers of Christ get asked the question, is it good, we are so used to answering the question, is it true, that we just give that answer. People say, is it good? And we're like, no, 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 let me tell you how true it is. Let me tell you here are the proof texts. Let me tell you all of these things about the validity of it and the documentation of it and all this stuff. And people are like, what I heard you just say was it doesn't matter if it's good or not. I just need to buy into it because it's true. And so the world continues to wonder, is it good for children? Is it good for women? Is it good for the poor? Is it good for the oppressed? Is it good for the marginalized? Is it good for the mentally ill? Is it good for the indigenous? Is it good for those who can't conform or don't conform to today's social norms? Is it good for society? Is it good for humanity or, or is it harmful? Is Christianity dangerous? In fact, are all religions dangerous? And here's what we know that is true. That when we hear bad news, we immediately hope that it is not true. For example, yesterday in my family, my extended family group chat, I've got my siblings, my parents, some of my nieces and nephews. One of my nieces texts in the group chat and she says this. She says, Netflix is changing its policy so that you can only use one account in one household. Right? <laughs> right? And immediately I texted back, that can't possibly be true. <laughs> Why? Because it's bad news for me. <laughs> the Netflix account that I use isn't mine. It's my parents and it is shared between me and all of my siblings, right? In fact, I don't pay for a single streaming service. All of my services are somebody else's account that I have like borrowed and logged into. And so if we're setting up this new like system, I've got a really big problem and my expenses are about to go up <laughs> or I'm going to have to change my lifestyle. I don't know which one it's going to be. 
right? But if this news is true, it's bad news. And so my like first response is like, oh, I don't want that. Like <laughs> that can't possibly be true. I, I'm in a lot of trouble, right? It didn't matter if it was true or not. I just told her she was wrong because it was bad news for me, right? On the other hand, when something is good news, we hope that it is true, right? There's, if there was this headline that came up in my news feed and it said Chick-fil-A is giving pastors free food for life, I, I don't care if it was clickbait, I'd click on it, right? Like I'd be like, tell me more. All of a sudden I'm saving billions of dollars, right? Like, tell me more. When something is good news, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is true, but it does mean that we hope it is. We really, really hope that it is. Now, what's interesting is that when the birth announcement of Jesus came, on day one, the way the angels announced it was, there's good news. Good news of great joy. And then they continue. They say this other little phrase that's attached to that, for all people, for everyone. I've got good news of great joy for everyone. Now that is a really, really big deal. For something to be good news for everyone, can you imagine how big that is, right? That's huge for every political group to agree. That's good news. For every national group, every country to agree, that's good news. For everyone with every background to agree, that's really good. That has, I mean, that's rare. Normally when there's good news for one person, it means it sucks for somebody else, right? But what the angels say is it's good news of great joy for all people. Now you think our country is divided right now. It was divided just as much, if not more, when Jesus was born. And so when there were these angels that were saying good news for all people, they were saying it was good for the Jewish people. It was good for the Gentiles, it was good for the Romans, it was good for the Samaritans, it was good for everybody. I mean, that is good news. And the announcement of Jesus' work and his life and his message, it was such good news that when they started recording it, when they started writing it down, they called it the gospel. They didn't call it the Bible, they called it the gospel. And the gospel comes from two old English words. It is this first word, um, God spell, which means God, the good story. And in Greek, it was euangelion. That was the Greek word for it, and which comes from two words also. It means good announcement or the good news. And it's important to understand that at the very beginning, before people added this political agenda or this theory or this implication or this line in the sand about the gospel, the message of Jesus was just considered good news for everyone that they just named it good news. That was like the best way to describe it. It's, I don't know, I don't know what to call it. It's good news. Like, let me just tell you what this good news is. And Jesus even agreed that it was good news for everybody. In Luke 16, 16, Jesus actually says this thing. It's fascinating. And it gives you a context to what was being experienced in that time when Jesus was walking around. Jesus goes, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. So what he's saying is the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, they were proclaimed. Everybody was talking about them through John the Baptist. Like that was, that was the news. Good or bad, that was the news. 
right? But then since that time, since John the Baptist, since Jesus steps onto the stage, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about was this. He said, listen, there's a new king in town and he's a good king. He's filled with love and compassion. He's a king that's going to bring peace and justice, that he's going to bring wholeness and beauty and reconciliation and redemption to all things. And everything that we know about the kingdom tells us this and everything that Jesus shows us tells us this, that the kingdom will no longer have hungry people. Why? Because Jesus fed everybody. And it's no longer going to have six people. Why? Because Jesus heals everybody. Right? And Jesus says, no longer will the poor go hungry. No longer will the outcasts remain unknown and unseen. In this new kingdom, the things on earth will be set right. And that this upside-down, countercultural kingdom of God is rushing into this place through Jesus. That's the good news of the kingdom. This good news of the kingdom is being preached. And then Jesus says this, and everyone is forcing their way into it. Do you know what that means? What Jesus is saying right there is he's saying, ever since this has been preached, everyone's leaning in. Ever since we started talking about the good news of the kingdom of God, everyone wants upfront seats. Everyone's forcing their way to be closer. Why? Because it's that good. Because it's that good. So if the message and the life and the work of Jesus didn't strike you, doesn't strike you as good news, then perhaps it's because the version that you grew up with, the version you were taught or heard, or the version that you've been telling others about, maybe wasn't the original version that Jesus had intended. Because when Jesus was telling it, it was really good news. The original version was compelling, and it was for everyone, and it was worth telling. And let me tell you how worthy of telling the story it was. In the first century, it was really, 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 really rare to have your life documented. Like, you don't know who these people are. I don't know. It was really rare. Now, nowadays, if you want to know that somebody exists, what do you do? Social media, you Google them. You pull them up on social media, you Google them, and all of a sudden you have pictures of them, you know where they went to high school, you have their LinkedIn job history, like you have all of these different things. And if you want to remain undocumented on the internet, it is actually very, very difficult to scrub yourself from this all-encompassing like world of information and documentation, right? Now it's like totally the opposite. You have trouble remaining in the shadows. In fact, if you Google somebody, like let's say you're on a dating site, and you Google somebody, and like they don't come up on the internet, troll, catfish, right? Like you're like, oh no, who is this person? Like we're done, right? But back then, it wasn't like that. The first, second, and third century, very few people had their stories told or documented. Jesus was just like a day laborer from Galilee. He was nobody, nobody. And how does a nobody get his life documented? Not just once, but multiple times. Guys, my watch is like going off like crazy. Hold on. It's that family chat. <laughs> Good. Great. 
I'm red. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I got to silence them. <laughs> All right. Wait, where were we? I, we were on a roll. It was very rare. It was very rare for your life to be documented. He was a nobody. And yet, his life is documented. Not just once, but multiple times. In the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Luke says this. He introduces his gospel this way. He says, many have undertaken, many, many, have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Right? Lots of people are writing all of this stuff down. Many, not just Luke, and not just the four that we still have in the Bible of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have many, he's saying. Why? Why would so many people document a dead guy? Because when this all happened, it was so significant. The people are like, we've got to write this down. This is such good news that we have to tell the world. And so Luke continues. He says this. He says, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the world. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write down an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, this is the, this is the person that Luke is writing to when he compiles all these stories. Now, we don't know a lot about Theophilus, but we can assume that he was probably a very rich man, that he was a rich man, that was a believer, and what he did was he probably was like, I want to know more of the story. And so he contacted Luke, and he said, Luke, I want you to, I'll pay you, I'll pay your, your wages, I'll, I'll take care of you, but what I need you to do is use your investigative skills. I need to use your time and your talent in order to look into all of these stories that are told about Jesus, and I want to understand what happened. I need you to document an orderly account. And so Luke says, listen, I dug in. I investigated all the eyewitnesses. And this is, this is what I have. I have this orderly account for you, and I've decided that I'm going to write this down for you. And then he says, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. You've already been taught these things. You've already hoped that they are true. But I want you to know with certainty that they are true. Luke wanted to tell Theophilus to be confident in what he had been taught and that he had no idea that when he wrote this down for Theophilus that this would actually become one of the four accounts that would circulate for centuries and tell more and tell everyone about the good news of Jesus. But he knew that it had to be told. And after all of this, after all that Luke had found, one of the things that he documents so clearly is that this good news says that forgiveness is offered for everyone. Which meant to the first century people that they didn't have to then go to the temple and offer sacrifices for any more animals. And it means for us that we don't have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops to work it all out. That we don't have to prove ourselves worthy to receive it. Now, there's a story that you probably remember early on in Luke's account. He tells the story of Jesus sitting in a house with his disciples. You remember this story. I'm sure you know it. 
sitting in this house and he's preaching. And then all of a sudden, while he's sitting there and he's teaching his disciples, um, the ceiling begins to like cave in, right? Like all the stuff, he sees it just fall down. And then what looks like a bed or a mat or a rug begins to be lowered down. And as it is lowered down, what Jesus beholds is a man, a paralyzed man being lowered before him. And Jesus looks at the man and without the man saying a word, he says, your sins are forgiven. And I'm sure that that man was just like, right? That's not what I, thank you, thank you. Um, That's not what I want, right? And Jesus is just like, your sins are forgiven. And when Jesus says this, the Pharisees and the religious teachers like lose their minds because for them, they're like, no, 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 no. Not only do you not have the power to forgive sins, like we're fine with you talking about who's blessed and telling crazy stories we don't understand, but you can't start forgiving people. We have a system for all of that. We have a system for that. People come, they bring us their animals, we then eat the meat. Like, it's this whole forgiveness thing, that hoops that people are supposed to jump through. We've got that taken care of. So, like, you can't forgive sins. You're messing up our system to get people to do things. Don't forgive sins. Only God can do that. <laughs> and I, This is one of my favorite stories, actually. But Jesus just did. He just told them, I can tell people their sins are forgiven because I just did. And he turns to the Pharisees and the religious teachers, and he says they had told him, like, you can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus turns to them, and he says, that's true. Only God can forgive sins. But who can heal other than God? Now, Jesus' point is like, only God can heal. Like, only God can forgive sins, and only God can heal. God is the one who can only do either one of these things. And then to make this point even clearer, to sort of punctuate it, Jesus says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know that I actually am God, that I actually can forgive sins. And so then he turns to the paralyzed man and he says, get up, take your mat, and walk. And the man does. And this was really, really good news for every person there. Because even if no one else in the room was paralyzed, everyone else in the room had sinned. Now, if we don't get the gravity of this situation, the weightiness of this, then we don't actually understand what sin is. Now, perhaps you've been taught that sin is offending an almighty God that's invisible, a God who has a standard that, like, we don't really know and we could never meet. But Jesus was way more specific than that. Jesus says that sin is actually whenever we hurt another person that God loves, who is everyone. Sin is when you wrong someone that was made in the image of God, which is everyone. Sin is when you have hurt or wronged someone, which means you've also hurt and wronged God. 
So if you'd lied, if you've ever lied to somebody else, if you've ever disrespected somebody, if you've ever betrayed somebody, if you've ever hurt somebody or stolen something, if you've fallen short of your own standard, how much more have you fallen short of the standard of other people? And how much more have you fallen short of the standard of a God who loves those people and wants the best for them? We've all done that. And Jesus claimed that he had the ability to forgive your sin and make you right with God and right with everyone. That no longer did we have to jump through all of these hoops to try to make themselves right and perfect and earn this or prove that or make up for the ways that we've messed up. Have you ever had to do that? Maybe you've hurt someone, you've hurt a spouse, you've hurt a child, you've hurt a coworker, you've hurt a friend and you know you did it, and then you're trying to do everything you can to make up for it. You're buying flowers, you're making dinner, you're doing the dishes. Do you see? Look, I did this. I made it better, right? And what Jesus is saying, we don't... That is good news. We've all done that, and Jesus is claiming the ability to forgive you. Breaking news. Jesus can forgive your shortcomings. Jesus can make us whole. Jesus can heal. And the man who was paralyzed didn't even have to ask. Jesus just tells him, listen, pick up your mat and walk. See, according to Jesus, anybody anybody, regardless of their starting point, their knowledge, regardless of their background, regardless of their rap sheet, regardless of their works, regardless of their beliefs, even their beliefs about Jesus, everyone is invited to take a step to follow Jesus. And we can see that because, and we can see that because we know that this story where Jesus and his disciples um, are traveling show us this, right? In the next chapter, like the next chapter in the book of Luke, Jesus is walking with his disciples and they're basically going through this, like, how I like to imagine it is they're going through a TSA security checkpoint, all right? You know, TSA, when you go to the airport, you have to like take off your shoes and take off your jacket and take your laptop off and put it through. And like, like everyone's getting screened as you go for, unless somehow your TSA pre-check and I don't know how that happens. I still haven't figured that out. But Jesus and his disciples are going through this checkpoint. And instead of them wanting to make sure you have empty water bottles, they want to make sure that you're paying the Roman tax. And everybody has to pay this Roman tax. And the TSA security guard is this guy named Levi. Everybody hated Levi. He was the worst. Because he didn't let anybody buy. He wanted the tax. And not only did he want the tax that Roman wanted, he wanted a little bit for himself too. And so as Jesus and his disciples are passing through, Jesus looks at Levi, the one that everybody hated, the one that had no friends, and Jesus looks at Levi and says, come follow me. I just imagine like the disciples being like, not Levi. <laughs> but Jesus says, follow me. And Levi's like, wait, what? <laughs> me? 
No rabbi has ever, ever asked me to follow them. No one has, has ever, ever asked me to do anything. No one ever wanted him. But Jesus is saying, like, no, 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 come. Follow me, join. Guys, this is good news. <laughs> that no matter how far you go, no matter how far you wander, no matter how deep you have dug, Jesus says that you can start right there and you can follow him. And the second most amazing thing that happens in the story is that Levi says yes. And then he asks Jesus, where are we going? <laughs> and the first most amazing thing is that when, Jesus, when Levi asks Jesus where he's going, Jesus turns to him and he says, we're going to your house. We're going, we're going to your house. Let's go. And I'm sure the followers were just like, the other disciples were like, wait, what? Levi's house? Not only, it's one thing, it's one thing to invite him to join us and say, like, leave behind all of that. Just come join us, right? It's another thing to enter into the space where he dwells, the type of life that he lives. But this is what Jesus says. We're going to your house. Now, the Pharisees, they weren't, they were like, we can't go in there. They were like waiting out in the cul-de-sac because they were like, what is, like, that is not a sanctified house. That is not a good place for us to be. And so what we're told in the story is that the Pharisees actually send this message into Jesus, into uh, Jesus where he was in Levi's house, and they basically send this message to Jesus, and they're like, what are you doing? You're ruining everything. And Jesus says, like, hey, go tell the Pharisees. This is what I want you to tell them. This is what I want you to tell them. It's in Luke 5. The message back to the Pharisees is this. I have not come to call the righteous. I haven't come for the perfect people. I haven't come for the ones that think that they have never done anything wrong. I haven't come for the ones who think that they've met every standard and are like, I'm making it. I haven't come for the ones who know that there is a standard and I've come for the ones who know there's a standard and know that they're not making it. I've come for the ones who have resigned that they are never going to make it on their own. I've come for the ones that know that they are not good. Right? Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous. And he continues, but sinners. Whew. That's why I'm in Levi's house. <laughs> Guys, that's why Jesus is here with us. <laughs> but to sinners, and he continues to repentance. Now, next week, we're going to talk about this whole thing. What does that mean to repentance? But I don't want to jump into that part too quickly because we've got to nail down this sinner's part. We've got to nail down this idea that Jesus invites everyone to the table, that there's no one that gets excluded from this invitation. So if you grew up with a version of Christianity where there was a line of acceptance that fell, that fell somewhere other than everybody is in, I'm, I'm sorry. Because that's not good news. And so that's not the original version. 
God's message is good news to the unrighteous. And it's threatening news to the self-righteous. And just as like a, like a FYI, there are no self-righteous Jesus followers. You can't be a follower of Jesus and hold on to a shred of self-righteousness because the announcement that is given at the beginning in Luke 2 is today a Savior is born. God in this announcement is addressing this fundamental need for a Savior. And all of us in this room, we need that. Like our sins might be different, but we all need this Savior. None of us are righteous, not one of us. All of us have fallen short of our own standard, let alone the standard of others and the standard of God's. And so God didn't come and announce, hey, guess what? You get a second chance to meet the, 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 the pinnacle. Hey, I'm going to lower the standard announcement. No, he says, no, 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 I'm not lowering the Savior. Today, a Savior is born. And the Savior comes not for his own good. <laughs> that would have been easy. He comes for yours and he comes for mine. Luke tells us that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus comes and he tells us, listen, God is good. And then Jesus takes all of our ungood and he creates this on-ramp to a good God. And then he says, follow me. So is Christianity good news? Is it good for society? Is it good for children? Is it good for single moms? Is it good for the poor? Is it good for the prisoner? Is it good for those on the fringes? Is it good for the rich? Is it good for all of society? Those who were closest to Jesus thought that it was really, really good news. Peter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul eventually, and so many others thought this was really good news. And when we boil it down to its most sincere form, that's, that's untainted by agendas or manipulations or clutter, I wholeheartedly am convinced that it is good news. And Jesus said it too. That people will wish the message of Jesus to be true before they are certain that it is true. Now, just like imagine what that looks like in practicality. For people to wish that it was true before they were certain that it was. Like think about that. Can you imagine people rushing in? People pushing People leaning in to discover, is it true or not? Because they were so desperate for this type of love and acceptance and belonging and peace and wholeness and justice and a restoration. They so long for it to be true. Wow. Now for you, maybe it never ever sounded all that good. 
Maybe it never, maybe, and maybe that's because you never heard the original version of it. You maybe grew up with the wrong it. Maybe someone misused it. And that is really sad, and I'm super sorry about that. Because you need to know that the people who were closest to Jesus were convinced that it was really, really good news. Because they had met good in a body. Because they had met God in a body. And it wasn't good just for one generation, but it was good for all generations. And it wasn't good just for one group of people, it was good for all people. And it wasn't good for one nation, but it was good for all nations. It was good news of great joy for all people, for everybody. But perhaps it was especially good news for those of us that haven't been so good. Now we're going to take communion together. And the band's going to come up and they're going to play a song while I invite you to come forward and grab some of the bread and dip it in the cup. And then take, go back to your seat and just have a moment with God. But this table is a symbol of the connection, of connection with God. Which includes God's acceptance of us. God doesn't invite us to a table and then say, go to the end. You're not really a part of this. God invites us to take communion because we are fully, 100% love and accepted. And the crazy thing is, is that we are all invited to this table. Now, perhaps some of you are like, yeah, but I don't know what I believe about Jesus yet. It's okay. Come to the table. Yeah, but I don't know if I've got my life together. Like, even in this morning, I'm just blindly aware that there is this big epic problem in my... That's... Come to the table. You have an invitation because Jesus is good news. You're all invited. We're all invited. And so what I'm going to invite you to do... Um, next, during this next song, is there's actually a little piece of paper. There are little square pieces of paper on the white table. And you can grab one of those, and if there's not enough on your white table, grab them from somebody else's white table. But I'm just going to invite you to write down what it is that you think might exclude you from this table. Perhaps as we've been talking, you're like, yeah, but you don't know. Yeah, but I have. Yeah, but this is me. And I just want to invite you to write that down as sort of a way of getting it out of your brain and into the hands of the Father. And so I'm going to invite you to take that piece of paper. You can fold it up or whatever. And I'm going to invite you to just place it under the table and then partake. Take part in this feast that represents the atoning blood of Christ and his body that was broken to bring us life. Let's pray. Father God, I am so grateful for who you are. I am so grateful for this good news. 
It's so good that it's hard to believe. It's so good that I just want to like sometimes put it in this category to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's so good that it transforms everything about us. And God, I know that there are things about myself, ways that I have fallen short, ways that I have n- I am not righteous. And I pretend and I put all these other things to hide that. And in this moment, you're saying, just let it go. Let's be real honest about who we are and how we need a Savior. And so I thank you for this invitation to the table. I ask that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would move in us to just allow us to feel the full acceptance, the full invite, the full embrace of our inclusion in your family and at your table. And I know that that really only happens when we are fully and blindly willing to admit how much we don't deserve to be there. So, Father, speak to us in this space. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.